Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. We're uh, delighted to have you with us today, Wednesday, the 8th of April. And uh, this is episode 13 of the first season of our podcast. John Leahy with you. And uh, we'll have a very special guest joining us in just a moment. Uh, he is the uh, radio voice from the University of Massachusetts men's hockey team, Brock Hines. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Anchor. The number one podcasting app on the market today. With the Anchor app, it's so easy to make a great-sounding podcast. And the best part, the Anchor app is free. The Anchor app contains creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone or computer. Anchor takes care of distributing your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and many more places where podcasts are heard. You can also make money with your podcast with no minimum listenership. Trust me, everything you need to make a great podcast all in one place is with the Anchor app. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. We're going to get right into our content today. And uh, joining us on the line uh, from Western Massachusetts is uh, one of the premier uh, college hockey analysts in Hockey East and a great friend, uh, Brock Hines. Brock is the senior member of the UMass Sports Network. He's been with the Minutemen for 28 years, uh, won the Concanon Award back in 2010, uh, for his outstanding contr uh, contribution to media in Hockey East. He's uh, won a couple of Massachusetts Broadcaster Awards. He's also won an AP Award for Broadcasting Excellence. And uh, Brock, first of all, it's uh, great to have you with us. Hope you're uh, healthy and safe out there. In yeah, I am, John, and I, I really appreciate you having me on and be uh, look forward to talking with you this morning. All right, Brock. Well, uh, First of all, I'd like to uh, touch base with you about uh, the current uh, situation uh, with the pandemic. Uh, of course, we're all uh, kind of housebound here and, and trying to uh, stay healthy and safe. But, you know, for, uh, for you, the pandemic really hit home as uh, UMass was uh, getting ready to uh, open up a playoff series against Northeastern. You guys were the number two seed. You would have hosted the Huskies. And uh, that all gets wiped out after a very, very successful season. So maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, oh, how that affected you and how that affected the UMass team as they uh, started to prepare for this series. Well, it certainly affected the team, John. And I thought that they had a uh, thought the Minutemen had a, a pretty good shot. Uh, obviously, I think they were going to uh, get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, but they wanted to sort of get a little bit of uh, – uh, you know, the makeup for last season when they, uh, you know, escaped New Hampshire and after losing the first game uh, or winning the first game, um, have, after being behind a lot uh, in that game to come back and win and then get to the Garden and lose to Boston College. I think they wanted to get there and they had something to prove. Um, I, you know, how it affected the team. I think one of the things that I feel really bad for, and I, I think it's true with any of the programs that were going on is, um, we had three seniors that had been with this team. And anybody who's not familiar with the University of Massachusetts hockey program, um, they had they started with uh, Coach Greg Carvel when he came in uh, four seasons ago. And, and we had three seniors who trusted him. And uh, we had a five-win season, that freshman, uh, their freshman seasons. And they didn't get to finish uh, their, their senior years. And I, I feel the – really bad for them. The other guys will get a shot. I mean, all teams, John, um, throughout this, you know, can give you a hardship story, but I feel bad for those three guys. Um, one of them, Jake McLaughlin, signed an American Hockey League uh, uh, contract. 
Uh, so he will continue to play. I'm not sure where Nico Hildenbrand and Jack Suter will go, but that's how I think it affected the team. And one respect, the other respect is Hobie Baker candidate, John Leonard, who did not make it to the Hobie hat trick final three. I'm not sure um, if his position would have changed because he had a tremendous February. Well, Brock, from a personal perspective, you know, how disappointed were you that you didn't get a chance to, uh, you know, move on and broadcast, uh, you know, hopefully up to the garden and beyond, uh, you know, we've never had a situation like this. How did it personally affect you as a broadcaster? John, honestly, I mean, obviously it bothered me. I mean, of course you, 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 you want to go and, and go as far as you can, but, um, you know, I, I try to keep things in perspective, uh, and just see what was going on everywhere in the world. And uh, it bothered me, but I, I guess um, I'm, I'm hoping to, to see another day and, and, and get the opportunity to do this again. Uh, um, sure, I, I thought we had a great chance to, uh, to uh, perhaps get to another Frozen Four, uh, you know, even with what this team lost last season. So it bothered me, but... Not as much as I thought. I mean, certainly disappointed, but then again, I, I try to keep and just look at the whole picture and uh, and see what we're going through as a society, never mind a sports society. And um, keeping that in mind, I'm disappointed, but then just hoping that we can get back on our feet for next fall. Right. And of course, we all hope that it's going to uh, start on time. Uh, we're hearing reports of, uh, you know, the baseball season perhaps being uh, you know, gutted at all levels. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, they hope the NFL can start on time. But, Brock, you get a feeling if the NFL is able to start on time, the chances are pretty good we'll be dropping the puck. October. I I would think so. Um, I I don't want to be the, the negative person, but I, I'm, I'm worried about the fall still. I, I know that I'm, I'm very hopeful that as we go through the month of April that we're going to get good news um, as far as, um, maybe hopefully being on the, the back end of this pandemic. But having said that, um, I, I think we, uh, I'm going to echo what a lot of people have been saying. I think we need some sort of, um, I don't think finality is the word, but uh, whether it's vaccine, and I'm not a doctor, barely a broadcaster, um, but we need something so we feel safe going out there, or at least the safest that we can be. And I, I, I'm, I don't think any league commissioner, I don't think any, who's a school principal if in the you know in the grade schools or an athletic director I don't think they're going to put their student athletes their broadcasters their fans most importantly I don't think they're going to put any of them in jeopardy and um, I think you have to have something that's pretty pretty emphatic as far as this is the best that we can do at this point so um, you you mentioned the NFL. I think that's probably the most ambitious sport you could hope to get a full season in. And very honestly, John, I don't think, I don't think that's even starting in time September. I'm worried about the NCAA season, John. You know, we're here to talk about NCAA hockey, but if the NCAA football season doesn't start on time, I, um, as you know, for a lot of schools, maybe not um, where you broadcast at Merrimack, but certainly UMass. Um, other schools uh, depend certainly a lot on, on the football programs. And if the football programs don't go, I don't know how that affects the hockey. I, I defer that to our athletic director, Ryan Bamford, but um, I'm worried about the NCAA season this fall. 
Well, Brock, let's hope that uh, things turn around quickly, as quickly as possible, and we can get back to some semblance of, of a normal life. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, some experiences you've had in the broadcast booth before we talk a little bit about uh, X's and O's from an analyst's point of view. Now, Brock, you had the uh, distinct uh, pleasure, I hope I'm uh, describing this correctly, of being a color commentator for the longest college hockey game ever uh, in the history of the sport. Uh, out at Notre Dame during the hockey's playoffs, you broadcast a five-overtime game, which UMass ultimately won. Uh, what was that like for you? Well, it, it was certainly it was interesting, John. When I when I think back on that, um, as we get into overtime number one and two, I didn't really even think about you know how long the games you know would would ultimately go and records and everything. It was actually. Um, people at Notre Dame that were handing my then play-by-play partner, Cody Cruschel, and I notes about where we were historically as far as the broadcast. But um, one of the, one of the, certainly the things that I want to mention to anybody who's doing these games is you've got to keep your, your eye on the ball, or in this case, the puck in the third or fourth or fifth overtime, just as much as you do in regulation, John, I know that you've done extra inning baseball games and, as those games go on, I mean, they're, they're important, they're historic. And so you, you want to be there when that goal in this case is being scored. And um, I, I give credit to uh, the opposition, Notre Dame. I don't know if you remember Darren Pritchard who did, did the games for Notre Dame. Yes, they uh, do very well. Yeah. Yeah. Darren was doing it solo. I, I at least had a broadcast partner to do it with. Um, and um you know, in the fifth overtime, the Minutemen score at twelve forty-two mark. That game went one hundred and what fifty-two minutes and forty-two seconds. Yeah, and uh, um, I wanted to make sure that I got my end of it right. Um, Cody Cushell had a great call in the play-by-play, um, and I, I wanted to make sure that I described the game-winning goal um, and everything that went with it, just as if it was the uh, regulation. My tips to anybody doing it is have a lot of water on hand. <laughs> and if you're doing the game solo, uh, make sure that you have plenty of breaks in there because obviously you'll have to uh, get rid of that water at some point. But uh, I have to tell you, John, I, 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 the adrenaline was going as much. We had a long flight that morning. Um, I flew out of Bradley. I, I had a 3.30 wake-up call that morning. Cody Cushell was coming from um, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Virginia area. Yeah. And he also had a similar wake-up call that morning. He had a basketball game, a women's basketball game he was calling the previous night. And we met in Chicago, drove Mm -hmm. to South Bend. So we were up for basically 24 hours because the game ended at 1.15, 1.30. We didn't get to bed till 3. I was doing some uh, interviews uh, with with some people. And uh, the adrenaline, I – it, it sounds crazy. I could have gone longer, but I'll tell you, it, it certainly was a crash for us later on, and it, it was for the team as well. I was going to ask you that. You know, at, at what point did the fatigue set in, or did, did it set in? I mean, or were you strictly operating on adrenaline? Adrenaline. Uh, there, there were really, honestly, I'm, there was there, there was a little bit of mental fatigue, but uh, you know, the people at Notre Dame were great. Like I said, keeping hydrated. You at that point, you, you know, you may say, "Well, geez, you may have eaten at five or six o'clock, and now it's one o'clock. Were you hungry?" I now you just if you fill up on water, and uh, you know, kind of recycle intermissions. Um, 
and, and had different, you know, had a couple of opportunities to do some, uh, you know, relative in, intermissions as far as, you know, stuff that was really important as far as going over other playoff games that were going on. But then when you get to the third and fourth overtime intermissions, you rely on your uh, studio engineer and uh, to, to help you out and, and, and do things as well. But, uh, yeah, it, it was adrenaline. Well, Brock, I have a funny story about that because the night you guys were in South Bend, we were in Boston that night at Northeastern. We had a double overtime game the same night that you guys did. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember uh, leaving Magic Arena. I had you guys on on the broadcast on the way home. And when I got home, I tucked myself into bed. You guys were still playing. (laughs) Oh, a dedicated listener, Johnny. But, yeah, I mean – you guys, you know, you know, having a double overtime and to be able to drive home and to be able to, to, to do that, John, amazing. Uh, multi overtime game, and you know, it's it's it was it was great to do it. It was great to win it. It was an upset win. Unfortunately, we couldn't close the deal. We'd lose the next two games of the series, and uh, um, you know, you get ninety shots on a goaltender, Cal Peterson, and. Um, can't can't close the deal, but it, it was certainly an exciting uh, experience that I, I certainly will never forget. Well, Brock, uh, in addition to that, you've had the opportunity to go overseas. You went over to uh, Northern Ireland uh, to participate in the Friendship Four, and uh, that's something that not a lot of broadcasters can say that they've had the privilege pr- privilege of doing. Uh, maybe you could talk about that experience from both uh, what you learned in terms of uh, the cultural aspect and also the hockey aspect, of course. Cultural aspect, John, it, it, it was truly, truly an awakening. Uh, it was my first time going over the pond to Europe. Uh, I, I hadn't really been outside of the North America, America area, uh, even though Hawaii is one of our states. Certainly, it's very far west and a much longer flight. But uh, um, so that part in itself was interesting. And when I grew up, John, uh, if I have grown up, but when I was growing up, I should say, um, all I remember hearing on the news, I remember, I remember hearing the CBS News sounder, and that's from uh, our local station here in Greenfield growing up. Um, they would have CBS News at the top of the hour, and it would always seem that the lead story was the strife and the fighting in Northern Ireland. I, I always remember that as a, as a youngster. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, that's one place that I would certainly never end up going. So the fact that we ended had the, as you correctly called it, the privilege to go over there. Um, you, we, we land, you know, in Ireland proper, uh, in Dublin, stay there a night, and then drive up to, no- to Northern Ireland. The fact that you're going from one country to another, if you will, the fact that it's like driving in from Massachusetts to Rhode Island or Massachusetts to Vermont, you didn't even have to stop. And you get to to Belfast, John, the culture, going around the bus tour was so sobering that they took us on and having the tour guide tell us and we would go through different areas. He said, it was just a decade ago that you, the, the idea of traveling down these streets it was unthinkable. He said there was bombs going off. There was fighting. There was shooting. Um, we got to see different murals um, in what was were taught by the, the tour guide of, of the different things that that, that country went through. 
and the battle of the the Catholics and the Protestants, um, it was eye-opening, John. And I'm not a historian, so I mean, just to have that, it was very sobering to learn not only what they went through in Northern Ireland, but how recent it was. And the fact that we had the privilege, as you said again, to be there, um, it, it, it was something I can't put into words. And, the, and, 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 how, and hockey's role in it, if I can go right into it, hockey's role in bringing the countries together, it was not the thing, but it, it was one of the things that helped. Um, where we played in Northern Ireland, I mean, they, they would have the the Catholics and the Protestants, you know, they had their own, you know, shirts and jerseys that they wore that would tell who they were, but they were told at the door to take them off and put jer- regular hockey jerseys on, leave, check politics at the door, get in there and play hockey. And hockey was, oh, I was told by many people, there was one of the bridges that helped bring people together. And I, I think that's really a cool thing. Well, you know, I can tell you that uh, being into the music as much as I am, I I know a lot of songs from Ireland and a lot of songs that were created in in Northern Ireland because of the troubles. And, you know, I haven't made the trip over there for hockey yet, but if I ever do get over there, I'll be interested to see uh, firsthand the sources from where these songs came from. So that'll be kind of a cool thing for me to experience if we wind up going over there. Yeah, if you have the opportunity, and I, I really hope you do, um, it's it's truly um, the great thing. I, I recommend to anybody, first of all, if I can tell you, and, and maybe this is just from somebody that's kind of a um, inexperienced traveling overseas. I mean, I, John, you've traveled enough even in, in the United States for hockey. I would argue that the people here in New England and the Northeast are some – uh, we as people are some of the most difficult to get along with stuck up people until you get to know us. Then I think we're some of the greatest people. Um, and, I, and I don't say that as a knock on Northeast people. I grew up here in the Northeast, but I'll tell you that anywhere that I've traveled through the Midwest, uh, Nebraska, Omaha, um, out to Michigan state, the, the people are just seem to be more welcoming. And where I'm going with this is going over to Ireland. Some of the nicest people, that I have ever met going over there, helpful, sincere. Um, I can't say enough. My wife and I were over there. I had the opportunity to bring her over, which is thrilling to me because she's put up with me for 27 seasons doing this going on 28. So the fact that to be able to bring her over there was, it was really a privilege and her and I were lost in Dublin and we had a woman that came up with us. Could she could just tell we were lost. We didn't ask anybody asked us where we were trying to go. Um, we thought she was giving us, you know, uh, she. I thought she was going to cook dinner for us. She was giving us restaurant recommendations. I mean, everything. It, it was amazing, uh, the the people over there. Um, and I, I can't again. I can't say enough. And how easy it is to get over there too for people like us in New England. Whether you're going out of Logan, um, I'm not sure of Manchester and uh, TF Green down in Providence is. Of access to uh, Aer Lingus, but they go directly out of Bradley as well. Um, it's an easy flight. It really, really is for uh, a place that is five and a half hours away. Um, it, it's easy to get to, and I recommend it to anybody. We're talking with Brock Hines, a radio uh, color analyst on the UMass Sports Network for men's hockey. Uh, Brock, maybe we can uh, bring the uh, conversation back to uh, a comparison of a radio versus TV. Now, I've had a chance to talk to a few of 
our other broadcasters in the league, Mike Logan and uh, Mike Murphy, have been with us so far. Uh, you also have had experience in both uh, radio and television from a color analyst perspective. Uh, maybe you could break down the differences between uh, preparing for broadcasts on radio and TV and how you approach them. Well, my preparation is is mostly the same. Uh, I, I've been very fortunate enough to be able to do uh, the Nesson games uh, that Hockey East has uh, incorporated with most most of the schools. I got a chance to do uh, a half dozen this season, a couple last season. So I really got to learn uh, what it's like, although you and I both know that there's been, of course, streaming opportunities before that. But I'm purely talking the the actual television. Um, I prep the same. I think it's my approach uh, as far as uh, what I want to convey to the listeners. That's really the important part. And I I think I'll answer this probably a couple of times uh, this talking to you this morning and that is uh i want to my main thing is i want to reset i want to be able to reset for the listeners um at each break where the puck is Mm -hmm. and even during the game um you're asking me as an analyst i'll tell you i've also done play-by-play for a season plus um i also i i want to i want listeners to know where the puck is and and certainly i want to prep like and i've worked with you know around you enough to see how much you prep so diligently and i've been i've all the play-by-play guys that i've worked with um so well versed in, in preparation and knowing uh the opposition and everything else that goes with it um i i let them do that i will also uh, fill in with any knowledge i have um, analyzing the game as well. I'll try to keep it as simple as possible, but uh, I really want the listeners to be able to follow the puck. I just think in radio, that's very underrated. And it's a very difficult, as you know, as a play-by-play guy, it's a very difficult thing to do. Hockey's the toughest sport of the four majors to do. And uh, that's that's really one of my goals. Well, you know, the, the obvious fundamental difference, Brock, between radio and television, you know, radio, you are painting the picture for your listener they can't see what's going on they're depending on you to be the eyes and the ears television you know they say it's a little bit uh, easier in that uh, you have uh you know the uh, monitors and whatnot to to guide uh the viewer you know with graphics and whatnot do you have uh, are you pr- uh, preferable to one over the other do you have a preference or a favorite between radio and tv yes <sighs> I certainly, I, I, I don't. I, I, I honestly, I, I really don't. I, I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I enjoyed being able to do the television games this season Be just because it's, it certainly is a different challenge, and I don't take the radio for granted. I'm not saying it's easy uh, or by any means, but I, I, I don't have a, a preference really. Um, again, going back to the, where the puck is, I, I want to mention one person at, at least, John, um, you, if you know the name Mark Vandermeer that used to work at University of Massachusetts, he's now the voice of the Houston Texans okay. radio. I got called into emergency play-by-play duty back in the 90s at Providence College. My broadcast partner couldn't show up. So when I arrived at the arena, I was prepped to do color, mm-hmm. but always knowing in the mind because he had to travel too that I, I should always have in my back pocket. And I recommend this to an, any analyst. Make, sh- make sure you know the names and numbers. That's all you need to know. Get, get through the broadcast, and if you know that, the rest will take care of itself. And I remember Mark Vandermeer's um, 
I remember his critique of my broadcast and saying, you did a good job. I really, you know, thought you knew a lot of the content, well, this and that. But he said, honestly, one of my biggest critiques of you, and I never forget this, he says, is I really couldn't follow where the puck was. Right. And that's why I guess I'm so big at following when you talk about painting the picture and everything, especially you and I as radio guys. Um, that I guess that's where it really got stuck. And I, I'll never forget his words. He said, you know, I'm not a hockey guy. He says, I'm a football, baseball, basketball guy. But he said, you know, far side boards, near side boards, to your left, to your right. Just make sure that he says, even when you go back to being an analyst, and I, and I did this to begin with, so he knew it, but he said, carry it over to the play-by-play. Just make sure that the listeners know where the puck is. He says, he says that, and of course, one of the biggest problems I think any radio broadcasters have coming up is time and score. Um, you don't know when people are hopping in and out of your broadcast. Right. And I think we are guilty of it and our broadcast. I think, I think most broadcasters are, as you said, the TV, of course, now with graphics and everything else uh, over the last decade and, you know, it's, it, it's, it's right on the, the TV for the, the viewers to see. But um, I think a lot of radio, if you ask me, what's my biggest critique uh, and my biggest, if I had to pick one thing of any radio broadcast, it's not the content. All, all the guys are, 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 well prepared and everything else that goes along with coming to a radio broadcast, but they don't give the time and score enough. Yeah, that's the that's paramount. That's the first thing you need to concentrate on. And you talked, you touched upon uh, actually one of the one of the biggest things also is a description. You know, uh, the listeners want to know uh, where the action is, and the more precise you can pinpoint it, I think I think you're absolutely right. But do you have a system of uh, when when do you chime in? Uh, relative to uh, when the play-by-play broadcaster stops. Uh, we have kind of a, a system we have at Merrimack where when the, when the action stops, then that's Mike's cue to come in and talk. And you can talk from uh, whistle to whistle. Uh, is that something that you guys adhere to as well? Well, it depends when, it, it depends when, when in my uh, career you asked me that question. Uh, I've worked with several different broadcasters, and each one – has a different method. I started with Ted Baker uh, back in the 90s, who uh, him and I basically had the same one that you and Mike have up at Merrimack. Um, And then I'll go all the way and fast forward to now, um, Donnie Morehouse, um, a completely different style. I have so much respect for him. Ted Ted was a radio guy and and a true pro. Fast forward to to Donnie. Donnie is basically a self-taught guy who was in radio, Um, and he and I will have a baseball broadcast at times. He, 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 I have full reign to step in. I did with Ted too, but I, I kind of knew that most of my place was to step in when the broadcast, uh, when, when there was a whistle in the broadcast, but with Donnie, if I've got something to say, Donnie seems to sense that we've worked together since 2002 and it's got to the point where, um, I know when to get out of the way as a color commentator. I know the danger areas. I played the games. I, I, I feel like I have a good sense, John, of when something is about to happen. And uh, Donnie gives me free reign to go ahead and, and, and basically talk. And I don't, I don't take advantage of that. I, if I got something to say, I will. I'll jump in and out. But in our broadcast, what I really appreciate the most, and him and I have both talked about it, mm-hmm. is like I said, we can have a baseball talk. We can go 20 to 30 seconds and talk about 
philosophical things in hockey uh, while the action's going on. And that's something that I truly enjoy. And I know he does too. And as I said, he is coached at a high level. He coached at um, AIC. He played on a national championship team at AIC. See, he, he knows and gets it. And he's a real smart hockey guy. Well, that's a, that's a great thing to be able to have kind of that intuitive uh, non-verbal communication between the two, knowing to uh, when when to get out of the way. I think that that's a great, great skill to have. And I know it's something you guys have built up over time, but you've also worked with several play-by-play announcers at UMass. And uh, I guess, Brock, you can, you can really learn from each one of them, right? You also worked with an, a, an AHL guy, John Hennessy. Yeah, I, I've gone from wire to wire. Um, if, if, you'll, you, if you will let me, I started with Ted Baker. Uh, went to Hank Morse, who works in the Boston market. He was a traffic guy, worked uh, uh, at KISS in, in Boston for those Boston area people, and uh, also for Metro Traffic Control. Came back, had another uh, go with Ted Baker, um, then Donnie Morehouse. Then he had to step aside for a while, and then um, you brought up John Hennessy. Um, John, John, John was truly a, a professional, uh, as you said, an American Hockey League guy. Um, have a, so much a ton of respect for him and what he went through. Um, was his bus uh, uh, that he was traveling when he was with the Albany River Rats um, was involved in a. Uh, accident that many people know about on the Massachusetts Turnpike west of uh, Springfield and uh, he almost died in it uh, came back did collegiate hockey and did a just a tremendous job um, I got to work with a guy that has a Stanley Cup ring he called uh, um, he was uh, able to call the uh, 2003 New Jersey Devils uh, Stanley Cup run when his uh, um, when the play-by-play person was uh, was was very sick so you got to go up and do that. And John, John also would let me step in and out too, but uh, he was just, uh, what a smooth call he had. Great person, great call. Um, so very lucky to be able to call uh, with him. And Cody Cruchel was the one who I called with the uh, five overtime game I referenced earlier. And then my, our current ringside reporter, Adam Frenier. Um, I've worked both ends with him. I, I did play by play as he did color. We flip flop. We've done both. And I even did a game, a couple of games with Josh Maurer and with Josh, um, that one kind of hits home. Um, I think we probably, I think John, I shouldn't speak for everybody at this point in this pandemic. We've all probably know somebody or at least know somebody who knows somebody that's been stricken with the pandemic and Josh had it. He caught it. Um, as we would find out when he was helping out subbing down at Princeton, doing a, a, a broadcast, a basketball broadcast down at Princeton. And he developed the, the virus. People thought it was when he was going back and forth for Boston college. He's now the, the voice of Boston mm-hmm. college basketball. And also something that you're very familiar with being in the Red Sox organization does the Paw Sox broadcast. And uh, I'm happy to report he's recovered. Um, but I even got a chance to work with him. But uh, when it, when it gets to people you know like that, it kind of hits home. Uh, Brock, you brought up something very interesting when you were talking about John Hennessy. And, of course, you made reference to John and that terrible bus accident. But as broadcasters, we're traveling all the time. We're on buses. We're on uh, planes, whatnot. And, you know, uh, you know, we sometimes we take for granted uh, the travel that we do. We, we don't really think about it too much. But 
you know, there are hazards out there as far as the travel is concerned. But if there's one thing I want the, the non-broadcasting people to know about, it's just the enormous amount of travel that we put in. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I, as a, as a, I, I want to feel like I'm with uh, Father Leahy right now, go to confession. If, if I could say something to any, one of the things that I'm certainly guilty of, that if I could have a do-over again, is I would probably take off um, a game or so, a season at least. And my wife was so good because the great thing was my, my story, John, as you remember, uh, w- when I came into the league in 1993, we were an independent, yep. and we only did we we only we played less than the 34 games, and we broadcasted maybe 18 of them. I told my wife, it's a pretty simple deal, you know. We're going to do mostly home games, a couple road games. We opened at Merrimack, where you broadcast. Ironically, the first UMass hockey game ever was yep. at Merrimack. I said, you know, as I knew it it's going to be pretty simple. And she said, that's great. You know, working retail, you know, busy at night too. You go and have your fun. Well, of course it, it evolved into 1994 full hockey's broadcast schedule, which was 34 regular season games or whatever it was at the time and the playoffs. And I wish I had taken some time off from October to April. I missed a lot of family stuff, if you will, that I had my wife's blessings, but she's, been with me to as i've had my way of having and you too um and any of us broadcasters this is just this is not a brock thing this is all the broadcasters as you said um of the time that we commit and people think well you know you get you have the best seat in the house you're at the rink from 7 30 to 10 no it's not that we're doing prep yeah. work we the we get to the arenas two hours before puck drop we don't get home for home games you later than me, I'm blessed to live 15 minutes from the Mullen Center, but there's a lot of broadcasters I know that have to travel even for after home games. Um, on a road game, I'm lucky, John, you're lucky. We're in Hockey East. It's the easiest geographical footprint to navigate as a bro- you know a broadcaster. Right. Imagine even being in the next step up in the ECAC yep. and going from Princeton to Dartmouth. And, and then imagine being, of course, out in the Western conferences. We have it lucky in Hockey East. But still, um, on a weekend, on a Friday night, leaving my workplace, and luckily I own my own business. Not everybody's fortunate enough to have this luxury. Right. Leave here at 2 o'clock. Get home that Friday night at 1230 at night. Get up the next day to do another game back-to-back after a crappy five or six hours night's sleep. Um, I've kind of gone away what you've asked, but, um, if anybody can take anything away from it, the time that we put into it, and yes, we're the ones that volunteer to do it, but it's not as it appears the travel I've driven John and I know you probably have too, white knuckled in many snowstorms where, um, sure I've been offered, we could have stayed overnight, uh, with a hotel. I don't want to say that's never been offered. But there's nights where we've come home in blizzards on the Mass Pike and on Route 2 going from east to west. And uh, um, our better halves make a lot of uh, uh, let us have our fun doing this. And that's nothing else but fun. But there's a lot of time involved. And I I can't emphasize it enough. And my advice to any broadcaster, if you're going to be in this for the long run, 
remember, especially if you get married um, or have any better half, that you they are making a sacrifice too. And don't forget them. I, I, I just, uh, the broadcaster's credo, John, I think, as we know, was the only games you miss are if you're going to somebody else's funeral, you're deadly sick, or you're going to your own funeral. <laughs> if you're, that's the only game, the only games you miss. And I, I would, I would tell broadcasters, you don't have to miss a game every year, but I would certainly reevaluate how you approach that because um, I just think it's, it's, it's something that's overlooked. Absolutely, Brock. You know, I've been at Merrimack for 15 years. I think I've missed maybe five games in that in total, total span. And it was for the reasons that you indicated. I know two of those games were for the death of my grandmother. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, uh, I, as far as traveling for home games, again, uh, you know, I work in North Andover, but I live in Blackstone, Mass. That's about an hour, 10 minutes each way. So, uh, you know, that is certainly, uh, certainly something that uh, adds to the longness of the day. And like you said, back-to-backs, they can be very challenging. Yeah, no question. And that's the that's the the great thing about college hockey is you always have a chance to avenge a loss the next night. So back to back games are great. But from a broadcasting standpoint, um, the good thing is you can say, well, if it's the same team, you don't have to do all the prep. But um, again, especially I find it at UMass and I haven't really studied the Merrimack schedule to see how many of these you've had. But um, being in a multipurpose facility like uh, at the Mullen Center with the University of Massachusetts. Um, we have to sometimes work our schedules where we will play different opponents many times uh, on back-to-back nights, different opponents. So we may see you folks at Merrimack on a Friday night, maybe at Boston College on a Saturday. May I pick on BC because they're also in a multi-purpose facility, although they've talked about building a rink uh, down there separately for that hockey program. Um, and so you, you have – Two, two, two different games of prep and two nights to do. But most of the time, more often than not, it's the same team, so that's one of the advantages. Brock, you've also had the opportunity to uh, broadcast in a national title game. UMass took on Minnesota Duluth just last year. Uh, magical season for the men and men. Talk about that experience of having a chance to be a national champion. Well, certainly leading up to that game, we had really, um, really a tremendous run. Um, and of course, we had Kale McCarr, the Hobie Baker winner, to, to carry us there. Who uh, I think, you know, was the was the lead candidate to be the the, the rookie of the year in the, in the National Hockey League. And uh, to to have that opportunity, um, you never know when you're going to have another chance, John. There's so much parity in hockey. Um, I would argue with I don't know if it was a lesser talented team because we were we were we had less offense, uh, abysmal power play compared to last year, but we had other things going for us. Um, two solid goaltenders, which we had last year, but I would argue they were even better. Um, we had maybe a more balanced defense um, than we did last season. I, I don't know if that's a fair, I mean, obviously when you have Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro, you have, you know, the best defense possible, but I we had a different type of defense anyway. I'm arguing that we could have made a, a run again. You don't know, uh, when these opportunities are going to happen again, it goes back to the parody. I started to say, and I interrupted myself. Um, Minnesota Duluth, our opponent, they obviously had the luxury of uh, being in uh, uh, in the in the who we faced in the final. They they've had the they had the luxury of being there several times. But you don't know 
uh, John, uh, you can go a long time. We went 20, you know, 25 seasons before we could, you know, get there. And um, it's certainly something I'll never forget. Um, specifically, getting to that final game, uh, it was something because the semifinal game with, with Denver, we were at a very much a disadvantage, I think, going into the final game because we had the second game. Anybody who has the first game can scout you a little bit. And um, whereas you have the second game, your coaches are not out looking really at the opponents. You, they, you may send an assistant out there, but you're, you're more worried about the task at hand. Um, it, it, it was certainly something in Buffalo. And it, we haven't talked about this, John, but one of my favorite parts of the broadcast, you do it as well as a play-by-play guy. I know Mike does it as your, your broadcast partner. But having the ability to interview the opposition coaches yep is one of the things that I truly treasure. And right up until the finals, uh, when we got to the NCAAs in Manchester, uh, a lot of teams would send their assistants out to talk, and I have no problem with that. But most of the fraternity of the 60 college hockey head coaches, they would talk to me. And it's something that I don't take for granted. And if you talk to anybody who's my broadcast partner involved in the broadcast, in this case, Donnie and Adam, they'll tell you that's the part of the broadcast I look forward to the most. And the last opposition coach I got to do was our last regular season game, Kevin Snedden, who was probably the best as far as giving you content and just being just well-versed and well-spoken. And I got to talk uh, um, with the head coach, uh, of the uh, Scott Sandlin of the uh, the Bulldogs in that final game. he I didn't get an assistant coach. He said, sure, I'll talk to you. And I have to tell you, John, when I got to go down, this is one of the things I guess you just I, – I was fortunate. He took me into the uh, the team right, right outside the team locker room. So I got to see what they were like, they being Minnesota Duluth leading into the finals. And I have to tell you, to me, watch, watching them prepare and listening to the players and talking to their coaches, it seemed to me like it was a a big game in the first week of February against a league opponent. Um, talking to our guys, I thought they were all business too, but I think you could sort of tell that it was our first time being this far. And uh, that's not a knock. That's just the, the way that it is. And uh, I could tell talking to the, the Bulldog guys, never mind the fact that they were big, tough, and more talented on that particular night. Um, you could tell that they were more mature and had been in that situation before. And that was a huge advantage for them. And I got to see it before anybody else did because of the interview situation. That's great, Brock. And you know, in, in Hockey East, I think we've been spoiled. We have had a chance to talk to some really great coaches. You talk about the Dick Humillies at UH, Jack Parker at BU. Of course, we still are able to talk to Jerry York at Boston College. And it really is a treat to be able to talk to these guys and, and just absorb as much knowledge as we get from them. Yeah, you know, and a lot of these guys I know, they they, they see us coming with the microphone and the, and the tape recorder and they go, oh, I'm sure some of them inside go, oh, God, <laughs> you know, do I have to do this five or six minutes or whatever? But after a while, they know what you want for content. And um, we are 
spoiled. And I could go through each coach, and I'm not going to, but uh, I would say that probably the next best spoken is uh, maybe Jim Madigan at yep. Northeastern. Yep. Uh, he is he's he's another one that's just truly just sort of he can reel things off, and he, he, he along with Kevin Snedden, they they would go 12 minutes if you'd let them. But you, you know the broadcast doesn't allow, and each one has a different. Uh, personality and i've gotten to know some of them on a personal basis red gendron um his wife worked in a nursing home down in amherst and she took care of my dad and i'll never forget it and it was a hard story sometimes to tell but we were coming back from a hockey east media day um you know, the more I talk about this, John, the more I think I could write a book. I, you've written a book. I feel like sometimes I could do this. We were coming back from Hockey's Media Day, John Hennessy and I, and she was the one that called me to tell me that my dad died. Wow. And and I'll never forget it. And she took su- such good care of my dad. And Red Gendron, um, he and Tukuhun came to pay their respects. Um, I'll never forget it. Um, Jan Gendron took care of my dad and, um, my dad was a big hockey guy. My dad got to play at Boston university back and played at Northeast, played at Northeastern's Matthews arena. I have a picture of it, um, that I the treasure and show anybody that's willing to look at it. Um, but, um, that, that just goes to show you the different connections. And that's why I'm very partial to Red Gendron was because of the, uh, not only, on a professional level, but as a friendship. And of course he worked at the university of Massachusetts before going to Maine. And I was so happy to see all the success that he had up in Orono this season. Well, Brock, we're going to start uh, winding it down here before I let you go. I would just like to ask you, uh, are there any role models you've had in the broadcasting industry that have kind of shaped uh, your love for doing what you do? It's a good question, and, and from an analyst standpoint, you may think it kind of odd, but most of the guys that I look to, I don't know if I really had any, say, broadcasting heroes growing up. I, I did have, like, a, a couple of them, uh, and, of course, being brought up in the Boston market, um, I'm spoiled. I, I always enjoyed Fred Cusick's call, um, but, but, the, but on the radio side, Bob Wilson when I go to commercial break, Donnie will always, uh, my play-by-play partner will let me take it to commercial break, or if I have to be doing a play-by-play, um, you know, filling in, um, I would go to commercial after, I took a, I took after Bob Wilson. He would always tell you where the game is coming from. This game is coming to you from the Saddle Dome in Calgary right. or whatever it was. Um, that's an old name for it, but, and he'd give the score, the t- he, he would, that's how I would go to outro. So Bob Wilson's one of them. I think we're blessed with a lot of guys currently, John, that I look up to and think that they're great. And these are guys that are uh, my age or younger. Um, you know, I, I think of um, uh, John Forslund, I think is great. Um, I think Gordon Miller does a great job. Chris Cuthbert does a good job. Those are both guys from Canada. And it's no it's no accident. I just mentioned three guys that NBC Sports Network grabs for their playoffs. So I, I don't feel I'm the only one that feels that this way. Uh, Doc Ed, Emmerich, Eddie Olchuk, um, I do. And Eddie, I got to know him with his son being at right. UMass. And, uh, that, that was something. And I want to give you an odd one, too, that has nothing to do with hockey. But I always admired growing up what he did and 